Welcome to the Lion's Den University Report. This program brings you a behind-the-scenes look at the spiritual life on today's university and college campuses. Now here's your host, Glenn Bailey. Welcome again to the Lion's Den University Report. It is our privilege and pleasure to travel the country with our portable microphones and meet the interesting followers of Jesus Christ who have some connection with our university system and we encourage our listeners to pray for revival on campuses and we hear of different things that have happened over the uh, years of uh, connections to uh, the uh, spiritual life that connect to our campuses uh, we just finished the uh, world series uh, at the time we're doing uh, recording this program and and uh, who won who won? <laughs> oh. <Just kidding. laughs> yeah, it was a pretty exciting series. Went to Game 7. Houston Astros, of course, won, and congratulations to them. And our prayers continue for the recovery of the city of Houston. But uh, the uh, a reminder from that, uh, uh, just in the neighborhood near where I live is Bucknell University, and their football stadium is the Christie Matheson Memorial Stadium. And uh, there's a book on his life, how a— Christian gentleman, uh, Christy Matheson, how faith in a fastball changed all of baseball. And he was one of the first college students to enter professional baseball, college graduates. And uh, the football stadium is named after him because he played football there as well as baseball. But he holds a lot of still pitching records. He was in the first uh, Hall of Fame group with Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb that entered the Baseball Hall of Fame. And uh, But the stadium is named after him. And I saw a quote even in one of the exercise rooms that uh, I was using at one point that uh, it was a quote of his of how education and uh, the, the moral development are go hand in hand, and uh, uh, and physical uh, exercise as well. And so uh, he was known for being a, a follower of Jesus Christ, and uh, took his principles and values and uh, lifestyle, and even impacted as the book title suggested, uh, all of baseball at that time. And so. Uh, there continues to be the uh, presence of Christians on our university and college campuses, and we're here in State College uh, where some meetings have, are being held this weekend with Dr. Rob Carter with Creation Ministries International. And uh, Rob, again, welcome to our microphones. Thank you. It's great to be back. And the uh, subject of creation, as we've said, you know, this is one that undermines the faith of many young college students as they come in and they're not prepared to handle evolution that uh, supposedly is a fact. I think even you said you described it at one point in your life oh, as I, a fact. I remember very clearly being uh, taught by my evolutionary professors, you know, evolution is a fact. And I remember those words coming out of my mouth a short time later. And then the, the realization that I had the intellectual capacity to parrot somebody was really humbling. Right. When I didn't really know why they said it and I didn't know why... I didn't know any information behind it other than this guy says it's true and he sure sounds persuasive, so I, th I, I guess I'm going to believe him. That's not really, you know, looking back, it's kind of embarrassing, actually, that I just accepted something to be true that was so controversial without really critically analyzing it. Right. And uh, so uh, now you don't accept that as, as a fact, but rather a fallacy uh, that evolution does not work. But uh, give us a definition of, of evolution as we uh, try to refute the materialistic view of life that is prevalent on our campuses. It's actually critically important to have good definitions. Most people don't. And the word evolution itself, most people, if you say, you know, define evolution, they would say, oh, it's change over time. That's not true. 
because I don't believe in evolution, but I think things change over time. Right. So that can't possibly be the definition. If you want to define it, you have to include the phrase, the common ancestry of all things. Of course things change. Why? Because our brilliant designer God put into his creation the capacity to adapt to new circumstances. And if he hadn't done that, most species, including humans, would already be extinct. The fact that species can adapt in different ways is actually a testimony to the genius of our creator, not to Darwin's concept of common ancestry. Right, and you do research in genetics, and of course, the idea of the difference between adaptation and uh, developing new uh, capabilities of creatures is where did the information come from? Yeah. And adaptability means the information is basically uh, there uh, to be able to to expand the possibilities of a, of a creature. Yeah, but we have to be careful with the information argument. I have a, an article on creation.com, by the way, that's our website, creation.com, mm-hmm. um, called... Um, uh, the origin of new information, or mutations in the origin of new information. Uh, a lot of uh, creationists say uh, things like, um, you know, ev- uh, mutation only destroys information, never produces information. That's not really quite true, because you have to define what information is. And there are certainly new traits that have appeared, like blue eyes. That's not in the original. Is that new information? Or um, uh, I'm thinking, you know, blind cave fish. The the information for blindness wasn't in the fish initially. Is that new information? So it, it it's a new trait, definitely. Something new can appear. But when we examine that new thing that has appeared, almost always what we're seeing is something that broke. Mm-hmm. Almost always. Right. So... So it's a mutation that uh, that uh, eliminated something else, but a positive result took place. Yeah, if possibly a positive result. See, in evolutionary theory, they would say that that's new information. Mm-hmm. So if the Christian is trying, or the creationist is trying to use that argument, they, they might get molded up in a definitional morass because they're actually using a different definition of information than the evolutionist is. So we have to be careful. And also, there's nothing saying that God didn't put into the genome in pla- different places the ability to mutate and, and create new traits. Or places in the genome where recombination could bring two instruction sets together that weren't there originally – but when they come together, you have a new thing that didn't exist before. It was actually there, programmed, but it was never expressed. So those sorts of things, they fit beautifully into creation theory. And we think and we talk on, along these lines of, of what was there initially and how much change is possible. It's clear that all the changes that are observed fall within the possibility of creation. Right. So Darwin needs more changes than that, but we don't see the types of changes that Darwin requires. Sure. And that's the problem. And even at the source of life, at the origin of life, I think you said in your talk uh, this morning uh, that there is no scientific explanation of how the first cell uh, was formed. No, because they don't have anything in chemistry or probability or physics of molecules or information theory. I mean, the most profound thing about the origin of life is, you know, Let's just say a miracle happens and you can get long-chain polymers of sugars and DNA. It doesn't really happen anywhere in the natural world, but let's say it can happen. Let's say miracles happen and you can get cells formed with membranes and things like that, and there's DNA inside it. That's nothing because you don't have any information. You need an instruction set to be alive. You need information that says, here's how you live, here's how you reproduce. And before that exists, you don't have life. So... 
we know that information only comes from other information. You, we as humans can create information. Why? Because we have information ourselves. We have knowledge, we have abilities, we have ways of thinking, ways of processing. But if you start from scratch, all you're going to get is random gibberish. And that is the antithesis of what life is. Right. And so, uh, as you talked in your lecture, when Darwin was alive, that was uh, over 150 years ago, or mm-hmm. roughly, and, and uh, he didn't know a lot of things that we know now. And uh, maybe you could uh, address uh, some of the things that he didn't know, and this question of, then, does, was that lead to the, the uh, answer that he would not have developed evolution if he were alive today? Well, Darwin didn't know about cellular complexity. He didn't know anything about genetics. That's funny because, you know, the theory of evolution is all about how traits are passed from one generation to the next. And he didn't know how traits are passed from one generation to the next. Mm. He didn't know anything about modern geology. He didn't know um, uh, how species form, how they change, what controls those things, how fast it can happen, how species can hybridize. Uh, It just literally he was he was working in a black box. Or he's working with ignorance. Not that he was an ignorant person, but he did not know stuff. And if he were alive today, would he invent evolutionary theory? I'd say absolutely. But it wouldn't look the same. Because he'd understand that natural selection is powerless to stop extinction. So he'd be turning to where some of the younger professors in, in our colleges today are turning, like Gaia hypothesis or... You know, the complexity is woven into the fabric of the universe. Therefore, complexity is just an emergent property of the universe. Or maybe aliens did it. Or one of these alternative views when people realize that the, the naturalistic mechanism behind Darwinian evolution actually fails. Mm-hmm. It cannot even prevent us from going extinct, let alone evolve us into something higher. And so they jettison that and say it's got to be something else. But what they're turning to is metaphysics. There's not, there's not a scientific argument saying that aliens did it. That's just pushing the buck. Right. That's right. just, I don't know this, so maybe something else happened in the past because you still have to explain the aliens. Sure. And, and you don't only got a certain amount of time before you're at the beginning of the universe and the Big Bang in their model, so you, don't, you're, you have a limit here. And as you described uh, your presentation this morning, that there's a certain amount of, of uh, seemingly religious uh, material or assumptions that go into evolution as well as uh, the creation approach to uh, how life forms and develops and so on. And uh, uh, why do you say that? I mean, they, they think it's pure science and fact, and, um, you know, they have all the evidence. It's because we as humans cannot escape philosophy. It's impossible. Scientific, the whole scientific endeavor is based upon philosophy. You have to assume that the universe can make sense. You have to assume that you're actually pursuing knowledge and that Zeus isn't up on the mountaintop messing up with your Petri dish and screwing up your experiments and lying to you about how the universe works. And yeah, granted, that's a good assumption because it has worked a lot. Um, But most of the secularists, or, or I should say secular science, they assume that natural processes can explain everything. It's called naturalism. That's actually the basis of my PhD is naturalistic philosophy. As a, a doctorate in philosophy that I have, what philosophy? Well, naturalism applied to genetics. Right. Um, it is the underlying philosophy of, of modern scientific pursuits, but I do not believe it can explain the origin of the universe, the origin of life, the origin of complex life, the origin of humanity, the origin of thought, the origin of, of our wonder at the universe. I don't think it can explain anything except the 
easy stuff to explain, well, maybe not always easy, but the stuff that explain that happens in a laboratory, yeah, it's very mechanistic and we can explain it using, you know, probability and experiments and testing things like that. Fine, great. But that all depended upon a philosophy that the universe makes sense. But the reason I believe the universe makes sense is because my God makes sense. And my God would not make something that didn't make sense if he makes sense because he doesn't do anything against his own nature. Right. He would do something that's uncharacteristic of him. Sure. And the, uni- the reason the universe obeys laws is because the ultimate lawgiver made the universe. And God's very concerned with rules. That's clear in, in Scripture. He's got a set of rules for things. And he's, I mean, he's the ultimate clockmaker. That's why the universe works like a clock. Right. Now, can we understand it all? No. Do we understand everything now? No. Do we have giant questions about things? Oh, yeah, huge questions. Sure. Um, but and, it's comprehensible because our God is comprehensible. Right. And one of the questions you raised uh, that, uh, you know, people would think, well, certainly we figured out how stars evolve and uh, or form. And uh, yet uh, you suggest that there's still real problems with uh, uh, star formation and, and explain why, why it is a problem. Uh, clouds of gas in space always disperse. Even very cold clouds of gas, the molecular motion is is stronger than the force of gravity between atoms. So we have some great mysteries still Huge out mysteries. there, even to the uh, scientific community. They they don't have the, all the answers yet, and uh, some of the answers they're giving are misleading many people and turning them away from the real hope in life is that uh, we have a loving creator and we have a purpose and plan and an eternal destiny. My guest uh, for this program has been Dr. Rob Carter, uh, who is a marine biology PhD from the University of Miami and a rambling wreck from Georgia tech at his undergrad and uh, uh, but here speaking in state college with creation ministries international and uh, rob thanks for joining us today oh you're welcome that's fun you have been listening to the lion's den university report if you would like more information about the christian life or would like to contact the lion's den or one of the guests please write us at the lion's den post office box 226 mifflinburg pennsylvania 17844 or email ltcldur at yahoo.com.